Episode 5 with Stan Burkhall of Sense Health. Pick your population with care. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I'm speaking with Stan Burkall, who is the founder of a company called Sense Health. Sense Health runs a really cool application that connects providers with patients through a texting application. And the texting app is driven off of the patient's own telephone. I'll let Stan talk more about the application itself, but I do think that two really interesting takeaways that, that I got from Stan during this conversation are, number one, his advice to people who are looking to start up in the healthcare technology space. He says that the single most important factor that he feels would be to make sure that you pick your patient population and it might be a good idea to pick a population that somebody's willing to pay to improve their outcomes. The population that Stan uh, and his team over at, at Sense Health selected was the Medicaid high-risk patient population. That's a theme that we've heard throughout a couple of different interviews. You know, Robert Herzog of uh, eCaring basically said the same thing as, as well as Kent Dix from um, Allier Connect. All of them said you got to be concerned about what is reimbursable and be concerned about understanding who someone has a vested interest in, you know, whose outcome someone has a vested interest in, because those are the patient populations where there's urgency. Those are the sales that you can make where, where there's urgency behind the sale, which is, is going to be a really important factor in, in whether you're able to monetize the, the product or not. So I thought that was really interesting. The other thing that Stan said that resonated with me was the idea that, and this is advice that he had suggested for anyone who's buying applications or, or technology applications, and that is to make sure that whatever you're buying is either interoperable with other systems that you've got in play, or that the company that you're choosing to work with or the technology that you're choosing to buy is growing and has plans to accommodate more of the clinical workflow, to add features to their program, which help the providers do and automate even even more or, or help facilitate even more of, of the care that they need to provide. And Stan's rationale for that, which makes it completely sensible, is that providers already are using four or five or six maybe systems in their day-to-day -day just clinical workflow. That, that number can't go up to 11 or 12. It just it makes care impossible. So it's really important to work with vendors who either play well together in the sandbox, number one, or who have plans to expand the breadth of their technology to accommodate even more of the things that a provider needs to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So with that, Help me welcome Stan to the program today. Thanks for having me. Why don't you talk about your story a little bit? What was the big problem that you saw that sparked this venture? Absolutely. So actually, prior to Sense Health, I was coordinating clinical trials at the Columbia University Medical Center. And so while it wasn't an exact uh, match to the problem that we're focused on solving now, uh, issues that we were experiencing in the lab, they were very similar to the issues that we solve with Sense Health today. And by that, I mean, in the clinical trial world, uh, you have a lot of patients going through very structured protocols where they might have to change their behaviors, um, attend more health appointments, and do uh, various components to complete the trial. 
And oftentimes it's very difficult to engage them in that entire process and get them to it. And so as a clinical trial coordinator, part of my responsibility was to ensure people got from A to B in the study and did that achieving all of the milestones. And that's a very difficult thing to get people to do. And as a coordinator, it's a difficult thing to uh, help a large group of clinical trial participants accomplish. Um, so that kind of crunch of impacting behavior, whether it's following a clinical trial or as we focus on in Sense Health, managing chronic conditions, that difficulty is something that we really try to address with our product at Sense Health. So why don't you talk about that product a little bit? What is it exactly? Uh, the simplest way of thinking about it is it is helping to maintain consistent communications with the health provider who's responsible for ensuring that people are managing their health. So one of the biggest issues that we've seen to date, and a lot of people are focused on this as well, is once a patient leaves an office, um, they're getting no contact from their provider, or they might get a phone call here and there, or they might be given a sheet of paper with what they need to be doing. But there's none of that consistent kind of support, uh, nor the accountability that is given to patients once they leave their providers. And so we were heavily focused on how do we build a platform that recognizes providers don't have any more time to do this, yet they need to be doing this. So how do we help make it more efficient for them to deliver consistent support and communication? And how on the patient side do we ensure that that support's fitting into their lifestyle? How do we ensure that they're getting relevant messaging at the right time? And how do we ensure that it's being received through technologies that patients today are comfortable using and are already using in their day-to-day -day life? What does that look like? Absolutely. So we focused incredibly simply. And so on the patient side, what it looks like is a text message conversation with their provider. So one of the things that we recognized going into this was that everyone's texting now, which isn't a novel insight. Um, but we also recognize people are starting to text more and more with the providers they're working with. And given that's an interaction that was already occurring, it was a behavior that we wanted to tap into since it already exists and help to evolve it so that it's more effective for both the patient and the provider who is responsible for it. So our product on the patient side looks like this very robust conversation that they're having with their provider that's helping to deliver relevant nutritional information, relevant information around the condition they're managing, uh, motivation and support when they need it, as well as check-ins to ensure that they're actually accomplishing what they should be doing. And it's all through an interactive dialogue via text messages. Where the complexity of a technology like this comes into place is how it interacts with providers on the other end. And this is where we've had to focus a lot of time on building our product uh, and ensuring that it ultimately fits into a provider's day-to-day -day workflow. And so from the provider's perspective, they don't have any time to be sending messages out uh, almost on a daily basis to each of their patients. They don't necessarily have the time to figure out how to word a message so that it actually triggers someone to do something in that moment. And ultimately, they just don't have kind of the uh, system set up to ensure that they're checking in with people at the appropriate times. And so what our platform does on their end is it helps them to create these conversations ahead of time, automatically send out the messages to that patient and monitor what the patient's saying back so that we're only involving the provider when they need to jump in if a patient's in distress, uh, when we think it's a relevant time for the provider to say something incredibly personalized to that patient or any other instance where it'd be very important to get that human back in the loop with the patient. So let me ask you a, a question here, Stan. What I might be concerned about if I were a nurse, for example, is if we're opening up a new communication channel here, 
how do you make sure, how do you manage the risk of that communication channel and, and making sure that it's not creating an overload of, of information that's coming in at, you know, midnight on a Sunday? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. And um, I think that's probably one of the biggest design challenges in this space today. Ultimately, with how healthcare is evolving, it's very different incentives now and more consistent both prevention and disease management efforts are required. And inherently, those types of efforts are going to open up new communication channels, try and connect patients more consistently to their providers, which is a risk of suddenly taking more of that provider's time than they can manage themselves. And so I think it's an exciting design challenge for technologies like ours to help situate them such that they can ultimately manage that in a, in a manner that is not, not alerting the provider all the time and is able to deal with smaller issues when they arise but that might bring in the provider um, at the exact moment that they do need to um, be a part of that conversation. So, so I think, I, I mean, I don't know that I have a great answer to it, but I do know that uh, the more that we work with patients, the more questions we're able to help answer automatically for the patient and, and leave the provider out of that dynamic. And that ability and that intelligence that we kind of have built in is only getting smarter as we learn this kind of dynamic and relationship moving forward. That said, at the end of the day, there's always going to be the need for providers to be on call or available at different hours to help manage this kind of new support approach. Um, and whether that's something that we have on our staff to help manage, or we're seeing certain you know, provider organizations having 24-hour nurses available um, and connecting it with that staff. Um, I think there are definitely ways to uh, kind of make that entire interaction work. So could you walk me through what happens for a patient? You know, like what does that texting chain sort of look like from the patient side and then from the provider side? You know, what kind of messages I'm actually getting as as a patient? Yep. So on the patient side, we've really focused on four categories of messages. Uh, we focus on relevant kind of factoids. Uh, which could be nutritional information, exercise information, information around better ways to manage their uh, a chronic condition that they might have. Um, we focus on basic reminders. So those are kind of what everyone's been doing for years now, reminders to take your medications, reminders about appointments, reminders about things you need to do. Um, and then we focus on motivational and confidence-inspiring messages, along with questions to engage the patient. And so the the one kind of category to highlight on the patient side that we've seen as very promising is the motivational side. And that's been really interesting because motivational messages seem very fluffy out of context, tough to, to kind of figure out what's that value of sending someone an inspirational quote or saying, hey, I'm in your corner, like, you know, have a good day. But those are the types of messages that we've really seen that in tandem with the reminders to do certain certain things for their health or uh, the informational messages on how to improve their health, that kind of combination we've seen has made people more likely to start acting on those messages. And so our kind of goal for the content is not just to remind people of things, not just to educate them, but also to make them confident and motivated to, to actually think that they can make a difference with this and to start acting on their health. So if I'm a nurse, how do I, how do I get a patient into the, the sense health loop? you know, if, if you will, or, or when exactly how do I, how do I know what patients would be appropriate for this? 
Yeah, so to start as a business, we've actually focused on working with care management organizations who are typically already dealing with some of the highest cost patients. And so it's something that's really relevant for uh, all of the patients that the care managers might be interacting with. And uh, the flow to get a patient involved in this is really simple. Um, oftentimes, these care managers have to see their patient in person one time a month or once every three months. When they do that, our kind of platform makes it really simple for them to ask the patient if they're interested in keeping in closer contact through text messages, gets the patient to opt in right then and there through their phone. And then through a really simple assessment through our platform, the care manager can just answer a couple questions about their patient or the client that they're working with. And we automatically, through our algorithms and content, put together a care plan to support that patient over the next 30 days. And so it's really something that we kind of try and work into the visits that they're having with these patients, make it very simple to understand that this is just an extension of that provider um, and more consistent support for the patient. And then we make it really easy for the provider to have a tailored plan put together automatically. And you had mentioned before that you're focusing on four conditions or four therapeutic categories. What, what are those four categories? So actually, so I meant we're focused on four categories for types of messaging. However, in terms of specific health conditions that we focused on, we focused on a number to start. Uh, we focused on depression in the mental health space. We focused on some of the key cardiovascular concerns, hypertension, um, CHF. We focused on uh, diabetes as well as obesity. So those are really the primary condition areas we've started with. And in terms of goals, uh, which we differentiate from conditions, we focused on a number of goals in kind of the health and wellness space, whether that's reducing stress, eating better, exercising more, et cetera. And how did you devise the care plans that you are pre-configuring? So we focused on tailoring the care plans based on the conditions someone has, the goals they have, uh, but really tailoring it around where a patient currently is in terms of being quote-unquote activated. And so activation, just really generally speaking, is a patient's kind of knowledge, ability, and confidence to manage their health. And it's been a kind of a psychological construct that's been tied to uh, ultimately reduce cost when activation is high in patients. Um, and it's also been kind of a psychological construct that has been able to be improved upon through different types of interventions. And so what we do is we focus on how activated a patient currently is and tailor the different types of content that's specific to the conditions they have and goals they have to really try and make them more activated and obviously give them the relevant uh, information they need to then start managing their health better. Just to summarize a little bit, what you're doing is you're working with patients that have already been identified as high risk and high cost. And what you're enabling a provider to do is to extend their reach into the, you know, 95% of the time when the patient is not in the provider office in order to try to change the patient's behavior in order to manage their outcomes or improve their outcomes. Exactly. So let's talk about that for a sec, because I was really excited to see that you guys have actually completed a randomized controlled trial. Yes. So that was that was a great process for us to undertake. It has been incredibly important in, in helping to prove out our model for engaging patients and also understanding how a technology like ours fits into uh, the workflow of a care manager using it. Do tell. Talk about that a little bit. 
So the, the impetus behind it came from um, the Pilot Health Tech NYC program here in New York uh, that was focused on funding 10 collaborations with large healthcare organizations between uh, early stage tech companies and the large healthcare entities. Um, and they gave each of these kind of matches $100,000 to basically tech, test the technology um, in a clinical setting. And so we were uh, applied to work with the Montefiore Medical Center and specifically one of their uh, care management programs under the, uh, the subsidiary of Montefiore known as University Behavioral Associates. And, and the goal of our study was, was really twofold. One, we wanted to see if, if the technology was something that was even feasible to kind of fit into the busy day-to-day -day life of a care manager. And we wanted to understand whether the support plans that we put together and the interaction that we facilitate with a patient ultimately is helpful at improving their activation and driving adherence towards care plans, appointments, and medication. And what did you discover? Uh, well, it was a very successful trial. And we found, so basically, since it was a randomized trial, we had our control group, which were patients who were continuing to receive care management services from University Behavioral Associates. And that group was compared to the experimental group, which was patients who were receiving care management services with Sense Health, the Sense Health technology platform being used as well to support those patients. And we found a ton of significant differences when our technology was used versus when it was not. And a lot of those significant differences came in the form of um, improving some of the main activation constructs, whether it was seeing that patients were significantly more motivated, significantly more confident significantly more knowledgeable about their um, health and what they need to be doing. And, and those boosts in activation also went over to significant improvements um, in patients reporting, being able to remember their appointments, remembering to refill their prescriptions, and remembering uh, their care plan goals. So it was a, a very successful uh, pilot study, ultimately demonstrating that a technology like ours was very effective at, at boosting kind of all of those areas. I think one of the interesting parts of all of this is as we were looking through the data, trying to understand what was so effective at driving these improvements with patients. And one of the big areas that, that we kind of found and uh, are interested in looking into further as a company is that patients feeling more connected to their care manager was very important in driving both the improvements in activation and the improvements in adherence. And that's kind of an interesting paradigm to think about. It's not to say that the types of messages going out aren't important and how and when people um, are given this information to manage their health. But it is to say that that connection, that social connection to a provider or someone there to hold them accountable uh, was very important in helping to drive the adherence that we saw. So when we were talking about this originally, um, I didn't necessarily hear the word adherence. And but you've said it twice now. And that word, my, you know, my ears perk up when I hear it just simply because there's star ratings that are that are related to adherence. And then also adherence to a care plan is obviously a direct directly connected to to outcomes. So when you say adherence, what, what exactly do you mean? So great question. And so I wish I could say that we knew exactly when they attended an appointment or we were able to look at pharmacy records to understand when people actually picked up their prescriptions. Uh, we did not have connections to that type of data and it wasn't, that's not information that's currently tracked with the groups that we were working with. So we had to rely on self-reported adherence metrics. So what we did was we um, polled people prior to the study starting 
to understand how adherent they were in remembering their appointments, remembering to re refill their prescriptions, and remembering to follow their care plans. And then we pulled them following the study to see how they self-reported those adherence measures. And when comparing before and after, we saw that there were significant improvements with the group that was supported through their care manager and Sense Health first, just their care manager. So it was as close as we could get, given the confines of the study, to tracking adherence and demonstrating improvements in it. Um, but admittedly, it was self-reported data. And what would it take to to get quantitative data? You know, if, if you're working with, with a customer, is it really difficult for them to, to track this or didn't they want to for some reason? So it really depends who the customer is. So we've started to reach out more on the insurance plan side to manage care organizations. Uh, and within those groups, um, connecting our technology to actual claims is certainly something that's able to be accomplished. As we were running this study with more of the provider entities, capturing that information is not as as simple as it might sound right now. And that's because of why? Just in terms of these not being metrics that they automatically capture to date and also being able to connect to the different providers a patient might be seeing and kind of how seamlessly that information is transferred across a, a hospital system or a care management organization, it's not as it's not fully seamless to date. Interesting. But are you of the mind that with the the HIEs that are being developed and, and also with the current uh, incentives in the marketplace, that's going to start to change? Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would definitely think so. I, I would think it would definitely be in a provider's best interest to obviously be able to, to connect these dots, but understanding that at this time, data is so disjointed that I can see why it's not possible. Exactly. Why did you, Stan, decide to start this company as opposed to just simply going to work for any number of the entities right now who, you know, as you said earlier, are either doing text reminders or, or have adherence-based programs or, you know, the hospital itself? Why did you choose this entrepreneurial path? Uh, that I don't really have a great answer to. It kind of just unfolded and started to happen and went with it. But ultimately at, at Columbia, as I'd mentioned before, I was seeing a lot of issues uh, with this kind of driving adherence in a clinical trial. And uh, I met my one founder at Columbia as well. He was in the same lab as me and we started talking about different ideas. And, and really ultimately one thing led to another and suddenly we found ourselves trying to build our own product um, and implement our own idea in the marketplace. And you've been really successful at you know, managing to get selected for Pilot Health New York City and also Startup Health New York City. What's your secret to, to getting that, that entrepreneurial assistance, which I imagine has been pretty instrumental in your, in your current success? Definitely. And, and I don't know that there's any particular secret. I think two things that, that we've done as a company that are important. Uh, one is we started by focusing on a, um, a very specific patient population. And so certain companies might focus on a particular uh, condition like diabetes. Um, instead, we focused on a patient population, specifically Medicaid. And by honing in on, uh, again, a very specific group of patients, it was able to start differentiating us. And that is always helpful as an early stage company, especially given how many different uh, patient engagement solutions there are today um, and a lot of noise in the marketplace. So I think that was really important. Um, and I can certainly talk about why we chose Medicaid. The other thing I think that's that's been important is in building a product, being able to uh, design it 
um, in a manner that really connects with the providers using it. And so we have spent a lot of time on designing both the experience for the provider um, and the interface through which they interact with our product. And, and ultimately, design will only get you so far. However, when you're interacting with providers who are overburdened with so many new systems and so many new responsibilities in their job, it's, I think, very important for them to be using new technologies that are actually enjoyable to use. So you you mentioned when you were talking that you would be happy to talk about why you chose Medicaid. So let's let's talk about why you chose Medicaid. Yeah, so I think really two primary reasons for starting within the Medicaid population. One is with respect to chronic disease management and kind of new and evolving care management programs. Through the ACA, Medicaid um, has a ton of resources being pushed into uh, finding better ways to help manage uh, the high cost members within that population. And what we've seen as a result of that is that a lot of care management organizations who in the past might have only been working with a patient population of X, now suddenly they're responsible for supporting 2X. And suddenly it's creating a very large crunch for them to basically staff enough care managers to support such a, a growing uh, patient population. And so that right there, that kind of dynamic is something where I think it's really important for technology to be able to um, increase the capacity of those organizations to support these expanding um, caseloads of patients. That's really interesting. So do you feel that case managers who are using the Sense Health system can actually manage a larger patient load? So it's certainly one of our hypotheses. It is not one that we have gotten enough data yet to prove or disprove. But it's certainly how we go about making decisions on how to evolve the product um, and how we think about how it's supposed to really help that provider. And so we certainly think that by being able to maintain consistent communications and take care of some of the more mundane tasks that the care manager might be doing on a day-to-day -day basis now, it frees up their time to either deal with people who are coming into their office um, and have problems that only a human is going to be able to support them through, or... It can also help them to work across more of the patients that they're now dealing with in their caseload. So basically what you're doing is automating the, the repeatable sorts of tasks. And exactly. So that they can really focus their energy on the things that really need, um, as you said, you know, a judgment call or something really eyes on. Exactly. And I want to say that automating is always a kind of a scary term, especially in healthcare. I think a lot of times people have seen automatic reminders and things, people become habituated to those and they're ultimately not that effective over the long term. And so we do focus on automating, but doing that in a manner that is kind of much more human for the patient receiving that support. And again, that's still tied to that provider. So when it is important to really bring in the care manager at that moment, they're there and connected as a part of the conversation. So it's it definitely is um, automated at times, but it's really about how you blend the uh, personalized component with the automation. Actually, that makes a, a ton of sense. When you're talking to these the care management organizations, or you said that lately you're having some conversations with payers, what, what questions are they asking you as they're evaluating your service? Is there anything that they're particularly concerned about or interested in? Yeah, I think the biggest concern that we hear voiced uh, with respect to our technology is around regulation and text messages. Ultimately, text messages are non-encrypted, which is a privacy concern for patients and the providers using them. 
And so that is always kind of the big question that that we have come up. It's, um, you know, a lot of these groups are very aware that, particularly in the Medicaid space, texting is one of the only ways to actually connect with people consistently. However, it's still um, kind of a gray area with respect to regulation as to how you can leverage texting and areas through which texting is not the correct communication channel to support a patient. And how have you answered that question or, or, or made sure that despite it being a gray area that your program is compliant? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So there's not kind of a single, um, a single thing we do to ensure that we can operate within HIPAA. But we do do a number of things. I think the, the most important aspect of what we do is getting patients to opt in and consent to um, communicating with their provider through text messages. Um, and so ensuring that they're informed around the security issues around texting and they know that they can opt into this um, and they don't have to and that at any time they can opt out. That's really kind of one of the most important aspects, ensuring that that patient is informed. Now, at the same time, even when they are informed, it's really important not to say certain things through text. So texting is not a, a channel to deliver lab results or deliver a diagnosis to someone. And that's not really the purpose of our platform either. And so we've built in a, a number of kind of safeguards through our technology that when a um, health provider uh, might go to write a message to one of their patients um, and they include something like a medication name or a disease state, uh, we actually detect that through algorithms and flag that message prior to it going out as a safety mechanism to ensure that they're not abusing this channel for the wrong the wrong types of support. Going back to the, you know, the, the, the payer or the care manager customer, not necessarily specifically, you know, relevant to, to Sense Health per, per se, but what advice, you know, as a technology developer, what advice would you give a customer who may or may not be so tech savvy as they're evaluating a tech solution of, of any kind? I mean, is there anything particular that they should be asking or, or looking for as they evaluate tech solutions? That's a really good question. And I don't know that this, the first thing that came to mind, I'm not sure if it's the most important aspect, but certainly something that we think a lot about and that we hear a lot of. And that is particularly as new technologies are coming out in the health tech space. Oftentimes, early stage companies need to focus on basically building a feature. So maybe one component of what that care management organization needs to be doing, but not the entire spectrum of services that they need to provide. And while it's understandable that early companies only have the resources to build out you know, a feature at a time, I think it's really important for potential customers of these solutions to be able to evaluate which of these technologies has that potential to be a larger platform, fulfilling many different services, even if they don't currently um, have the, that functionality to date. And I think that's a, a really important thing to look at because on the, on the healthcare organization side, they're dealing with providers who, we work with some providers who have five different systems that they have to interact with on a day-to-day -day basis just to do their um, job. And adding in new features that might really solve specific problems, uh, if that's going to result in 11, 12 systems, then that's just, it's, it's going to be more work than it's worth. Um, and so being able to evaluate which kind of early stage companies can grow with the needs um, and start to fulfill uh, different areas, I think is really important to ensure that the providers are, are only working with a couple systems kind of at the end of the day. 
So would we classify that as scalability and interoperability, or um, are you thinking about it as bigger or smaller than that? No, I definitely, I think it's definitely both. I think the interoperability aspect is an interesting one, and that's always going to be important. But I do think that on the scalability side, being able to recognize um, how certain features would fit around a an early company's core product, or whether kind of the core feature still needs to be built. Um, and that's kind of a very abstract way of looking at it, but I think it, it is kind of a blend of looking at scalability from that perspective, and then obviously being able to work, communicate with existing systems, because you know at the end of the day, there's always going to be at least a couple that a provider's working with, but how many that is obviously depends on how early companies grow and, and how some of the, even the larger companies are able to solve the issues that the, the younger companies are focusing on. Obviously, Stan, you know, you're, you're a smart guy. You had a lot of opportunities that were on the table in, in front of you, and you decided to start your entrepreneurial venture in the healthcare space as opposed to, you know, creating a consumer-facing app for dry cleaning or some other first-world problem. If, if you had to do it all over again, would you stay with the healthcare space? And, you know, kind of what's the, the pros and cons of the, the path that you've chosen now that you're, you, you've got some some miles down that that road. Yeah, so I would definitely go um, down this path again um, and fully intend to. Uh, I think uh, I can't speak to having done anything entrepreneurial in a different sector. So so I can certainly judge some companies focused on first world problems, but I, I couldn't speak um, personally to having gone through that process myself. But I guess what I'd say from my experience is there's obviously always going to be the ups and downs trying a new venture um, and always kind of the headaches and the hurdles um, and all of that kind of negative that go with it. And to me, one of the, the nice aspects of doing something in health, or I would equate um, education as being a similar space, is that there's a, a social good that's coming from the work you're doing and kind of the, the barriers you're running up against. And so it's not just, uh, I can look at some of these other areas and not that everyone is this way, but just driven by the potential success that comes from it. There's also a kind of a social good that comes from succeeding in the healthcare or education space, which I think is certainly helpful with all the uh, the negatives and, and hurdles you run into. What What's next for you? Well, so we are continuing uh, to work with some of our earlier customers on actually expanding out our features, just like I was talking about, to be able to kind of fulfill different engagement areas that we hadn't started with as a company. So we're working heavily on kind of investing our resources with current customers of ours, and at the same time are, you know, looking to kind of drive our business to working with, as I mentioned, some of the managed care organizations who might have larger patient numbers that they're working with to ultimately reach some of our goals of, you know, growing the number of patients we'd like to support through our technology. And if uh, there are any payers or care management organizations out there that would like to reach you, how do they find out more and get a hold of you? So you can certainly learn more about the product that we've been talking about at SenseHealth.com. And easiest way to reach me would be Stan at SenseHealth.com. And actually, I have been on the SenseHealth website. Do you still have that really great video? We do. Ah, yes. So I would, I, I will actually put a link to Sense Health this, and their video that actually really does a great job showing the system and exactly how it works on their website. I will put that on relentlesshealthvalue.com. So it was great to be speaking with you today, Stan, and I look forward to our next conversation.
Awesome. Thanks so much. So I hope you got as much out of that interview with Stan Burkall as I did. As I mentioned during the interview, all of the links to Stan's video and website are available on RelentlessHealthValue.com. It would be really great, and I would appreciate it deeply if you run over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast, Relentless Health Value. If you like what you hear, it would be great if you could leave a rating or a review. We're also on Twitter. If you have any comments or questions, leave us a tweet. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.